Sean Sewell with the Engagement.com podcast. I'm really excited to start off the year with a fantastic guest. She's a coach, a coach of humans and dogs. Molly Averin runs Pete's Adventure Pack and has recently launched the Adventure Dog Channel, which my wife and I are currently enrolled in to try and increase our relationship and connection with our dog, Chloe. It's a fantastic program. I'm super excited to have Molly on the Engagement Podcast to talk about how she teaches what we can all learn to bond with our, our dogs better and just be better um, human beings. So Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and excited that you have a dog. Yes. Um, and I work, work a lot with Border Collies, so it's always always a fun breed. I agree. Um, for reference on that, Chloe, who has been in a lot of the videos you probably see on YouTube, uh, is a Border Collie rescue dog. And so she has a lot of uh, characteristics that I'm noticing in the Adventure Dog channel, to have some things to work on. She's very excitable. And so uh, one of the things that Molly talks about is the fulfillment. Um, can you speak more about fulfillment, what that means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So as a trainer, I obviously work with people on all of the basics from like how to walk your dog on a leash, how to have them sleep in a crate, like all the basic things. But I really am passionate about the topic of fulfillment, which means all of your dog's needs. So obviously the basics like food, shelter, water, right? Are like basic needs, but then exercise is also a fulfillment need for a dog. So when we're talking about dogs like border collies or huskies or a high energy dog, they need to be able to run and fully exercise their body in order to be fulfilled. So my dog's favorite activities are bike rides, going backcountry skiing with us, cross-country skiing. And when they're properly fulfilled, in the morning, they come home and they're just like, yep, I'm going to go nap the rest of the day now. And you just have this like chill, wonderful dog because you've tapped into their needs. Mm -hmm. um, and so I feel like it's an area where a lot of people will miss where they're like, well, I took my dog for a walk around the block today. And it's like, you have a border collie. <laughs> like, that, do <laughs> that dog needs to be like running, like think about the breed that you have and what they're really meant to do. Yeah. Um, so part of what I do is not only help clients with the basics, but I also help them figure out how do we fulfill your specific dog? Like what is your dog's love language in a way? Oh, that's really well put. Love language. Are there any methods you use to figure out what the love language is for that dog? Yeah. I mean, first it is looking at the breed. Um, and so, okay, what is your dog physically bred to do? Um, and I think when you are, a lot of people are really into having working dogs, which German shepherds, herding dogs, huskies, et cetera. Um, and a lot of the, like I have all rescues too. And a lot of those are the dogs that end up in shelters because they're not fulfilled. Right. So people are like, this dog's too hard, <laughs> new home. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so looking at the breed first and then kind of trying things out and and testing be like, okay, say if you told me I take my dog on a walk once a day and you're like, but they still have a lot of energy and I don't feel like they're really getting that fulfillment. Like they're kind of pacing around when they get home or like they're kind of constantly wanting to do something with me. I'd be like, all right, we probably need to do a little bit more and figure out what your dog likes. Um, so like if mountain biking is your thing, like let's introduce your dog to a bike and see if they like it. Um, a good example, I have a hound dog, Aussie mix who somehow got the lazy hound dog gene, which is like abnormal. Um, but he's totally good with like a hike or chill walk around the park. Like when we bike with him, he's like half a mile behind us and is like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute guys. Whereas the Huskies are like right next to the bike, you know, really wanting to go. So just like observing your dog and like, what are they really into? 
versus like what what in your mind do you think they're into um so kind of understanding your dog but I think the other part of love language that I talk about a lot is what type of affection does your dog like Mm, yes like so um as an example one of my dogs who's a shepherd she's mixed with like a bunch of other things but she really loves slow intentional touch like almost like you're giving her like a jaw massage or like chest massage and she just like melts into your hand like she loves that um versus you know one of my other huskies gets like way too pumped when you start petting him like that like he's just like oh my gosh now i'm so excited and so like for for him like i do less physical touch but his love language is totally running next to the bike he's like i don't care if you ever give me pets honestly i just want to go run and use my body and like you know lope out when you're riding the bike like that's what he's into um so every dog's a little different with what they with what they like Oh, I love this. There's so many angles I want to go off what you just said. Um, I'll try and keep it to it, my dog because I can relate to that the most. So oh. Chloe, um, I feel like I, I neglected her for like the last year or so of her life. Uh, my older dog, Riley, was arthritic and was moving a lot slower. And so her level of activity was decreased to his level, on, and that's my bad. Um, but after he passed... I started to treat her in a totally new way. So I took her to the park and we learned how to do fetch. And I never knew that she enjoyed, like you said, loping out and running, you know, as fast as possible, getting the ball and bringing it back. That was like her, her new favorite thing. And I feel so bad for not exposing that to her for many years of her life. So old dogs mm-hmm. can totally learn new tricks, right? Totally. Oh yeah. I mean, we have, out of our personal pack, we have a 10 year old Husky who he might even be 11. Like we adopted him when we knew he was four. He had been returned to the shelter multiple times type of thing. And like we adopted him at four or five and he knew nothing. Like, I mean, he was like a rip your shoulder out type of pulling you down the street on leash type of Husky. And now he's just a gem of a dog and it has the best, best life still runs with us, still pulls me ski drawing, like does all the things. Um, Oh, that's incredible. That's very encouraging too. Um, Cause I think a lot of people who have um, who rescue dog. So a couple of years into their life or have a dog like situation we had where one passes away and then you like have a dog 2.0 all of a sudden. And uh, it's, it's encouraging that they can learn new um, patterns and new, new relationships. That's wonderful. Um, so yeah, back to the absolutely. fulfillment. Um, I like that fulfillment is not just uh petting. Um it's the, the exercise, the interaction, different kinds of, of reward. Um, would cuddling be part of fulfillment? Totally. It depends on the dog. So, and I always say like, think about fulfillment first in terms of like, what activities do you like to do with your dog? So mm-hmm. make sure you check that box, right? Like if I were to just, as an example, I have a bunch of Huskies. So we have six dogs total. Um, half, half of them are Huskies. If I were to just cuddle on the couch with the Huskies all the time, they would be destroying things or they'd be running away. They'd be like, peace out. I'm going to go take myself on my own adventure because you're not cutting it for me. Right. Like that's just like kind of bottom line. So you really have to do the physical exercise piece first to fulfill them. Then, yeah. I mean, one of my Huskies is super affectionate, loves to be pet, loves to kind of snuggle. Um, I think everything in moderation, right? Like you have to have a balance of stuff. Um, but then I have one Husky who does not really like to be sitting next to me on the floor or cuddling or lots of pets. Like he's like, no, thanks. I'm good. It's not my love language. So I think 
whenever I tell people like get a dog that fits your personal lifestyle and what you want from a dog, like really take your time, which is why rescues are great because you can find a, a rescue dog who's been in a foster home for a while. You know, the personality of the dog, you know, what their needs are, all of those things. And you can kind of like, I'm really selective with who we adopt into our pack of dogs. Um, because there's so many dogs out there. <laughs> like, why not, why not be picky about that? Of course. That's a very good point. Um, I have several neighbors who have dogs and it's so fun seeing the different kinds of relationships. Like one of my neighbors is a marathon runner and he has a dog that he runs with and that's like perfect relationship right there. And that dog that's is awesome. a berserker when, when uh, my neighbor is sick and he can't get that five, 10 mile run in. And yeah. uh, it's, it's cool to see those bonds. And I had a question from earlier uh, trying to be a responsible citizen approaching a dog. We have a lot of dogs in our neighborhood. And, you know, for the most part, people walk them on leash because that's the, the rules around here. Um, but I love greeting the dogs. And I'm like the dog guy in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. so all the dogs, like, yeah. well, they'll bow down, like play bow, and they'll come up. And, like, within a moment or two of petting them, maybe I'm getting them too excited. They get the zoomies. And it's, yeah. am, I, <laughs> am I overstimulating them with the um, uh, my energy? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, so, and whenever, whenever I greet a dog, the most respectful thing from a dog's perspective to do is just be neutral. Right. Oh, so like, if you watch, if you watch a bunch of really balanced dogs greet each other, so they would kind of approach each other on the trail, sniffy air sniff from afar, mm -hmm. maybe just walk away. Like maybe look like they completely ignored each other. Now to us, that might be like, oh, those two dogs don't get along. No, those dogs yeah. actually got along great. That was the most natural way for them to greet each other. Maybe they like walk up, do butt sniff, whatever. But like they're not going to get each other instantly pumped up and instantly start playing. So from the dog's perspective for us, like they don't, you know, obviously we're people, they're dogs, but like they still have an expectation of us to be neutral and to be respectful. So I'll always, if someone approaches me on the street, like say my neighbor walks up and they have a dog, I don't even look the dog in the eye. I just stand there. And normally the dog will naturally kind of come up to me and be like, oh, hey, you're cool. Like you get me. Yeah. So that's what I want to see is just that loose body, really kind of neutral, calm, like just like, oh, hey, I'm checking you out. But it shouldn't be a oh my gosh, the person, because um, then you do get overexcitement and you get a dog who every time they see the person, it's like, oh my gosh, person. And then like the dog's pulling on the end of the leash and like it's chaos ensues, right? Um, yeah. So new, neutral is always the goal. Cool. You call me on a big way. That, that's good. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no. I want to be better about this. And it makes sense why our dog is that way too. Anytime somebody comes around, she's just Tackles her up. She's super excited uh, and just lunges towards people and dogs. And we're just like, oh, yep. chaos. But we we built that up. We, yeah, well, I will go Absolutely. through the dog channel and I will, yeah. I will rectify <laughs> this. <laughs> no, but what I really appreciate about it is you, you're like, oh, yeah, my bad. Like, that's, yeah. and it is because, like, if you have created, and it's not, fault right like mm -hmm. it's just it's just information and more knowledge of like oh this is what my dog's actually needing for me um and that's what I try to help people understand I'm like I'm never blaming anybody they'll be like oh this is my fault I'm like no it's not you didn't know like yeah. you hire a dog trainer because you're not a professional dog trainer um, exactly. you don't know what you don't know yeah you don't know what you don't know yeah I you know in my, in my profession too I come across with people that want to learn how to use a say the kettlebell and I don't fault them for not knowing how to use it that's my job to teach them how to use it and exactly. it's a good position to be in, you know, um, yeah. this is really helpful. Okay. Here's the situation we have for tonight. 
my, my wife is hosting a girls' night. We have four nieces under age 10, her sister and her mom coming over for a Taylor Swift concert. And the yes. girls, yeah, we're really excited. It's all decorated in the other room. It's it's Swift. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the nieces love our dog, Chloe, the older ones especially. The younger ones are, are a little apprehensive. They're three and four. Um, any strategies that you would implement knowing that my dog is um, very excited to meet people and see people? Yeah. Um, and then obviously like meeting your dog is always helpful, right? To like understand oh. if is it, is it actually excitement or is your dog unsure and it's coming off as overexcitement, which can be a thing. Um, cause they don't know what to do. So they're like, ah, oh, like I'm unsure people aren't telling me what to do here. But the one thing that I would say is for you always give direction. So dogs really appreciate guidance from their humans and the way that I think about our relationship is like, we are their partners. We are there to help keep them safe, to help guide them in life. Like they don't understand our human rules and that maybe she needs to be chill while people come over. Right. So okay. it's kind of your responsibility to help her understand that. Um, so I always say one, have the dog on leash and you can always like, you know, when the kids come in, if she's greeting and all loose and kind of like neutral with it, obviously not jumping on it, but just kind of like sniffing them out, let it, let it play out. If you start to see her getting overexcited or like you were explaining, like hackles go up, that's just kind of like on alert. It can be an uncertainty body language where she's like, oh, I'm overexcited or I'm unsure of this. Then I would just recall back and use the leash to guide her back to you. Cool. And almost like, I'm not sure if you've gotten to the video where I talk about the safe spot, yes. which is, yeah. So the safe spot is next to your side. So when the dog is in the safe spot, I can advocate for their space. I can be like, Hey, you know, girls, like, Chloe's feeling a little uncomfortable right now. Like we're just going to give her some space. Like I can really help the dog out when they're right next to me. Um, so I'd recall Chloe back, put her in the safe spot and just keep her there with you. And like, really doable. That, and in that moment, she's like, Oh man, I was feeling a little overwhelmed. Dad totally read my body language and he helps get me to the safe spot. And I feel a whole heck of a lot better now. Um, obviously I always tell people like practice recall and then putting the dog in the safe spot when there's no distractions around. So yes. like if you have, you know, some time before the girls are coming over, like practice, just recalling Chloe away from the door, putting her in the safe spot, just to like practice that pattern. So she's starting to understand like, oh, okay, this is what dad's asking me. Got it. Um, I, I like that. That's very, very helpful. And it makes sense. I, I've definitely noticed that she does better with direction. I think probably, yeah. probably common with most dogs. Like you said, uh, oh, we're their leader. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And like, there's a sliding scale of confidence within dogs. So like, even within my pack, Lucas, who is in a lot of the videos, who's the red Husky, he's really confident. And mm -hmm. so I can give him less direction and he feels fine with stuff like dogs approaching people approaching. He's like, whatever, I don't care. Like he's un unbothered by like everything. <laughs> like I was out leaf blowing one day and he's just laying on his side, passed out, like didn't even blink an eye or lift his head. And I was like leaf blowing over him. Like he's like, whatever, don't care. But for dogs that are more sensitive dogs and border collies do tend to be sensitive. I am generalizing. They're obviously yeah. confident border collies too, but as a breed, they're more sensitive. And those dogs need more direction more often to feel good. Like they really want a super clear job to do, especially looking at the breed of a border collie. Like that's a working dog who's used to taking cues on like where to herd cattle, right? Yeah. So for Chloe, it's like, oh, dad's giving me information and direction on what my job is right now, which is just to stick next to him. Cool. I feel so much better about stuff now. That's really helpful. And and watching your dog, the yeah, he's very confident. 
my goal with Chloe um, and other dogs in general is we do a lot of hiking and I want to be as respectful about the crossing the pass. Um, are there any kind of hard and fast rules about that kind of interaction? Yeah. So even with my personal dogs who are all very social, like if a dog approaches, they can appropriately handle whatever kind of comes their way, right? If a dog starts to get tense or uncomfortable, they'll just walk away. They're like, I don't need to engage with that. Yeah. But even with those dogs who are so super social, when I see someone approaching on the trail, I make sure that the dog is in the safe spot and on the outside of the trail. So that when we pass, then the dog is protected by me and they're on the outside. Um, and that way, like if the dog, other dog is not social, I can kind of advocate for my dog's space and the other dog away or just like, hey, we're moving. Like I got you. It's almost like holding your kid's hand when you're crossing the street. Yeah, good analogy. So like, I'm going to have my dog next to me in the safe spot and we're going to pass the other people because also like some people don't want dogs rushing up to them. Right. Yeah. Or if like a biker is coming down the trail, um, I see dogs get hit by bikes often. Like I want to make sure my dog is staying respectful of the biker space. I'm keeping my dog safe, keeping me and the other person, like everybody should be able to pass safely on the trail. So recall the dog, have them in the safe spot as you pass. That's, that's great advice. Yeah, and they bring up another point here. It's really, I was hoping we get to um, recreating with the dogs. Um, I would love to pick your brain about biking with dogs. and um, But an incident popped up in my memory. I was split boarding and there was uh, three or four dogs off leash, a couple. And usually I'd make eye contact with it to the people. I'm like, would you like to come up? Or would you like me to come down? You know, and usually it's pretty clear communication. And they're like, oh, it's fine. Come on down. And I, there was a red flag. I think you would just mentioned the dogs were not in the safe spot. They were between the people on the trail. Yep. And um, as I approached, you know, you know, confidently and not fast, but just kind of proceeding, uh, the pit bull lunged at me and bit my leg. And it bit, on, luckily, in the Kevlar part of the protective part, so, you know, where the ski edge would, would hit, uh -huh. um, didn't do a whole lot of damage. But I could see, like, the dog didn't want to do that. It was scared. It was not in a good yes. place. And they yes. were walking that dog they didn't own that dog so like there's no relationship built here right a whole lot of opportunities right there yeah totally and like what you just described makes perfect sense because when and that is what i would call a more insecure or nervous dog right who needs more direction so what that dog would have appreciated in that moment is the person saying let me guide you on leash or off leash whatever Mm -hmm. Let me guide you to the other side of me. Because when a dog is like, say if the person's here, right? The dog is here and you're over here. That dog is set up to be in guarding position. Yep. So when a dog is placed in front of the person or kind of like on that inside spot, they're they're set up to guard and protect that human. And so when you came by, the dog, for whatever reason, felt uncomfortable. Yeah. And he also might have felt trapped too, because dogs will generally choose flight over fight. But if they feel threatened or like trapped in a moment, they're like, okay, well, the human's not doing anything about it. They're not telling me what to do. I've got to now step up to the plate and take care of this person. Yeah. So like the dog then reached out to bite you to get you to go away. Right. Yeah. Um, like that was, I mean, again, I'm, I'm making assumptions based off the story, but like most likely that's what happened. No, you were spot on. And I felt so bad for the dog. It was shaking. Um, it, the, the, yeah. the other people were just like borderline traumatized all was well it's just a minor a minor uh impact 
in the teeth uh going yeah. to kevlar but um yeah yeah it was and a learning one, experience yeah and one thing about that too that i so important and i talk about this on the channel is that movement is always the dog's friend when they are moving so what the uh, what they also could have done is like sure you come down but they just keep moving even just a tiny bit even if it's like a snail pace walk to keep the dog moving and focused on working with the human so when you have a dog who's stopping and stagnant they have time to load up they're like a little king time bomb <laughs> so as you came down right this dog's staring at you and it's like yeah. okay i feel uncomfortable about this thing okay yeah loading 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 boom Versus if they had kept him moving, he would have had better opportunity to be like, okay, we're kind of flighting here. We're moving away from the thing. The person's helping me. Like, this makes me feel better. Oh, that's such good advice. This is like a masterclass in dog relationships. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I have so many more questions for you. So when you're building um, the exercise routine, are there any indicators to know when the dog has had enough? Is it true like the, the tongue's out this way, that's fine, but if it goes to the side, that's too much? Or is that like a made-up thing? Uh, it's not totally made up. Like it, it, it does have to do with like dogs overheating. Um, but however, with that said, if you watch sled dogs who are running and and not overheating, <laughs> running at like negative temperatures, and they're just really full out, their tongues are to the side. Um, so yes, like a lot of the time the tongue can look like a spoon at the end if it's like curling up and it's to the side like and and it's hot out like use common sense there's also a chart on google if you google temperature and humidity dog safety chart it's awesome because it gives you a, an index basically that's right. for what is for what is too high temperature for the exercise output um so i always refer people to look up that and there's a couple of them when you google it but um yeah, I mean, my dogs will have, you know, their tongue to the side when they're full out running and they're they're not overheating by any means. But whenever I'm starting, say if you came to me and you're like, hey, I'm not into biking yet, but I want to be. I'd be like, let's go start with Chloe on a half mile ride. Like first, let's do all the drills first, right? Yeah. So you're like getting her used to running next to the bike, walking next to the bike. You're practicing stopping. She's staying in the safe spot with the bike, which is at the seat poster behind it. So you're working oh, okay. on all the basics and like building up a little bit of endurance just through the drills. Um, and then we go out on trail and I'm like, okay, let's do the drills now on trail. Okay. Now let's do a half mile ride. Okay. Now let's do a one mile ride. Like let's kind of slowly build it up. Even for my dogs who are active year round with different activities during bike season, their pads are really soft from running on snow all year. Mm -hmm. So I'll only take them on a two mile ride, our first bike ride out for the season. And then we build up and their pads get a little more callousy and like, you know, can toughen up for the rocks. Um, <clears throat> Makes sense. So I say like always build like by the mile um, and, and judge like, okay, your dog goes on a, you know, 10 mile hike every day. I'm exaggerating, but like, <laughs> okay, your dog can probably do a couple mile bike ride. Like yeah. common sense is involved, but also then watch to see like, okay, after mile two, my dog really started to slow down a little bit. That's my cue to be like, all right, the two mile mark is kind of our, or maybe mile and a half is our end goal right now. And you slowly build. Our female Husky will go on 20 mile bike rides with us. She's insane. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> <laughs> and it took years to build that right like it didn't it just happen overnight but um on average with our personal huskies we're going on anywhere from four to eight mile bike rides in the morning 
um, with them to start the day, probably like four to five days a week. Um, but we've built up to that. That's really cool. I, I accidentally biked with my dog, Chloe, twice, maybe three times this summer. And it was the most fun experience for me. And I, I think she enjoyed it a lot, too. And uh, I was thinking back, we did a quarter mile fire road. And we, we were camping at the beginning of it. And the end of it, I knew where it was. So I knew there wasn't anybody else around. And um, it helped for me. There was an e-bike so I could keep doing laps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get better endurance than I do. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, we did like maybe a quarter mile there and then rest cool. and then gradually came back and then give her some water. And then she's like, she she has this like thing of putting herself to to rest in the truck, her safe spot. Don't she'll hop back out cool. and want to do it again. So yeah, we did that a handful of times um, on three different occasions and it was absolutely incredible. So I'm going to definitely be taking notes on the Adventure Dog Channel, especially on the biking part. And That's awesome. Tickets. Yeah, it was super it, fun. It's so fun. I never knew that she was into that or that was even an option to do with a dog. Yeah. And I see you with like a pack of dogs on your videos. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anything's possible. Yeah. No, it's super fun. And I think I, I don't know if I said this earlier, but um, I just, I feel like it shifted when we started. I've biked with dogs for a while since I was fostering when I lived in, um, in the Southeast, but we hadn't biked with our personal Huskies yet. We were kind of hiking and, you know, and doing training and basic stuff and building the relationship. But once we brought out the bike, I feel like they were like, oh my gosh, you're so much cooler now. Like I want to stick with this person because this is where all the fun happens. Um, so just really like is the cherry on top of your relationship with your dog. Um, it helps to build that bond. I, I, that's so cool. And I, I know what that bond you're talking about. So I watched uh, Chloe just be so satisfied when we're done with that. It was cool. Um, well, tonight I'm taking her camping and, you know, it'll, it'll be cold. We're here in Colorado, pretty similar weather to you have in Utah. Um, and I've been camping with our dogs probably about once a week for, since we've had them. Um, do you have any tips for people starting out camping with dogs? Yeah. So, and on the adventure dog channel, there's a whole section for camping, um, oh. that kind of goes through like how to prepare your dog for camping. Um, but I feel like one of the biggest things is obviously having the basics down, like recall, if you plan on taking your dog off leash, like you're going to encounter wildlife camping, most likely like making sure that kind of all the basic things are, are there. Um, but within those basics, one of them is place. And so a lot of trainers will talk about place work, um, and that can be different depending on what trainer you speak to. So I'll explain the way that I do it. Um, basically you have a dog cot or dog bed, like some, you know, cozy area. Like if you have a dog who is like a pit bull and wants like a cozy bed, make sure there's a cozy bed on the cot for them. The Huskies are like, no, give me like an air, a breezy airway cot that I can just like sprawl out on. Right. Um, but anyways, it's just a dog bed essentially. And it's a place where your dog goes to relax. So it's not about obedience and saying like, Hey, lay down, you know, do tricks on place. I don't do food on place. I just simply kind of like walk the dog on and off the place cot until they choose to lay down on their own and them choosing to lay down on their own, just so much more cements in their brain. Like, Oh, this was a really nice spot for me to lay down and take a nice nap. Um, but place can also be used where if I do ask the dogs to go to place as an example with camping, I'll have like, you know, a bunch of dog beds out there, or I can now like our camper, um, 
we used to have a van, but now we, we have six dogs. So we're like, well, I guess we should get a camper. Um, but anyways, it has, it has an awning and kind of creates a shady area, right? I can have the dogs just go place in the shady area of the awning and they'll stay there while say we're cooking dinner or we're getting the bike stuff ready. Like if I need the dogs to just go chill out and relax, I can be like, Hey, go to place. And then they go naturally lay down on their own on place, chill out. We're setting some boundaries and some rules around what we're doing, especially if it's like a busy camping area. Mm -hmm. Ideal, ideally it's not, um, but for, for you all having peace and quiet and the reason why we all want to go camping. Um, but if you need your dog to like, okay, I need you to stay in this place. That's a good option, but place also then becomes a safe spot for them. So like Chloe, like you mentioned the car, mm -hmm. like if say dogs approach your campsite and my dogs feels uncomfortable for whatever reason, they're going to choose on their own to go lay down on place. They're going to be like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Let me go to my safe spot. Um, so place is great for keeping your dog in an area when you need to have them kind of supervised and for them to have an off switch and turn off their brain. But it's also good for them to choose on their own to go to their safe spot. That is fantastic. I've never heard of the place technique until, until I started looking at your channel. Um, but that makes complete sense. Yeah. Is, is place, place is different, but is it somewhat similar to crate? Yeah. And so all of the safe spots that I talk about is next to your side, the crate and place and the car ideally too, is a mm -hmm. safe spot for your dog. Um, but yeah, so the crate can also be an area for your dog to go into. So I have a lot of clients who use travel crates when they go camping because yeah. they know that their dog feels really safe kind of in like in a den like area. Um, rather than being more exposed and just laying on a dog bed with nothing kind of surrounding them, right? So they'll bring a travel crate with them, but absolutely it's a, another safe spot for your dog. That makes complete sense. I have a funny and embarrassing story to share with you in the audience. So <laughs> our first dog was a blue healer and he did not like crate. We probably did not introduce it correctly. Um, but with Chloe, we didn't know about the crate. We rescued her at um, six weeks old, maybe six or eight. And I, I take her out camping and it's just her and me trying to build a relationship and uh, we're having a good old time that the sun goes down and then I just can't find her. And I spent the whole night looking for her and this happened three or four times. I get embarrassingly every time working out okay in the end, but she would go and create an, or find a little den and put herself in this little like wooded area with yeah. leaves. I was like, oh my God, what if I just leave the, the truck door open or the tent door open? And then, then she started going there as her, there's a yeah. safe place. Yeah, it was totally. incredible to see. I, Animals are so intelligent. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of clients that are like, hey, my dog goes and hides under the bed and I let them do it because they feel safe there. And I'm like, what's more helpful than kind of what you were leading to is like, hey, here's your spot to go relax and be safe. So then yeah. they're like, oh, my human understood me there. I needed a safe spot to go lay down and feel comfortable. And they then guided me to the crate or they guided me to the car or to place. So you're just like helping them out a little bit there and being a better partner rather than being like, oh, I'm in panic. Let me go dash under the bed and hide. Yeah. Right. And that panic continues versus like, let me help you. Here's your crate. Go relax. And they're like, thanks. Feel a lot better. Oh, this is this is so uh, so helpful. And also it makes me feel a lot better about some of the decisions I've made and also ones I need to change too. <laughs> Obviously I've got to learn. Oh, uh, this is really fun. I, I should start be, I should be paying you right now for all the advice you're giving me in the audio. <laughs> no, it's, I obviously love talking about this stuff. It's super fun. Um, but yeah, I feel like place with camping is one of the biggest things other than having the basic styled. And on the channel, I also go through how to introduce your dog to a tent if you are tent camping and, and I'll actually bring, um, I feel like one of the best tips is like bring a um, 
like compactable, um, like easily compressible uh, placemat. So like uh, there's a couple of companies that actually have them that really compact down into small little, you know, tiny bags. Um, and then you can just unfold that placemat in your tent, in your car, outside your camping spot, like wherever. And you can actually use that same placemat inside your house first. So the dog gets like, like put the mat on top of their dog bed. So they get used to that being place. And then you can just bring it with you wherever you go. That's genius. Oh, there's, these are such good tips, man. Um, so we have a rooftop tent and so the, we get asked a lot, how do you put a dog in a rooftop tent? So it'd be a little YouTube video for that. Like, you know, scooping under the, like a Zercher curl basically and going up the ladder and putting yeah. them up there. And, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And it's so fun. Like they used to have both heads popping out the window and people are like, how, how does, how do dogs <laughs> like it up there? And they, they turn out to really enjoy it. They just, you know, made it comfortable. Yeah, totally. And if you're introducing it correctly, you know, in a nice, calm way, that's the same way with the crate, right? Like yeah. they end up loving, loving whatever you introduce properly to them. They're like, oh, this is actually pretty sweet. Absolutely. It's it's about that. I, I'm learning so much from this conversation and, and your teaching about you, the person being the leader and just giving good, calm direction. It seems to be the way to go. Yeah. We uh, recently changed her crate um, and we were really nervous about how that would go. She had had the same crate for seven, seven and a half years. And then okay. on some whim, we purchased like this fancy two crate slash buffet table kind of thing, right? And it looks cool. We put together like yes. a nightmare thing. And uh, after like three hours, we're like, what if she doesn't like it? How are we going <laughs> to? <laughs> and uh, thankfully, within like the first 15 minutes, you know, we transitioned her bedding and some of her lovey mm -hmm. little stuffed animals. She has a lot of stuffed animals. And uh, put them in there, and she she went in there. And she loves this thing now, and it looks cool. And uh, so tonight yeah. for the Taylor Swift you know party, there's like you know a bunch of snacks and stuff on top of it, and it just looks like it's part of the house. But that's awesome. Yeah. Are there any tips on crate training? I know it's probably a whole section on your channel about this. Yeah, totally. So, um, and one of the things you just said was really awesome. So I'll use the pup. So um, my client and I recently found a lost puppy. Um, it had, of course, <laughs> animal, animals find me. Um, I was like at a client's house and we found this puppy next to her house that had kind of made a den similar to what you were describing with your dog, like a little dug a hole, put some leaves in there. It was like really curled up. Right. Um, anyway, she's super scared, nervous puppy, like six months old. Um, and the first day that I brought her home, she was so, you know, kind of frozen in place that she was like, I don't even want to move. Like, I'm just petrified of life right now. But I put her on a leash and I just kind of gently guided her into the crate and then I let her come right back out. So the number one thing that people do wrong with crate training is they immediately close the door on the dog Oh yeah. and the dog's like, holy crap, now I'm trapped in here mm -hmm. and you just trapped me. Um, so I walk him in, immediately let him come back out, walk him back in, let him come out, walk him back, like just doing that until they actually will end up choosing just, just like kind of chill in the crate for a second. Yeah. And then I invite them out, bring them back in. Eventually all this back and forth, they're mentally working. They're thinking about like, okay, what's the ask here? What are we doing? This is a new environment. There's a lot going on, right? They're getting kind of tired with that. So then they in essentially end up choosing to lay down in that crate on their own. Yep. And that's when I'm like, okay, now we can close the door. Once you've chosen on your own that this is like not such a bad area for you to hang out in. Then I'll close the door, open it back up, and bind them back out. So this can be a 30-minute 
introduction basically um but i always tell people like take it really slow like you don't even have to close the door door the first session like just introduce them to the crate also feed them in the crate all the high value bones happen in the crate like elk antlers or whatever you're using like high value stuff happens in the crate all the good things are happening there um and feeding in the crate is also good because your dog feel safe in that crate. Right. And so yeah. there's no competition. They're not worried about other dogs or people coming and getting their food, especially with a rescue who's maybe astray and having to like fend for their food, um, like feed them in the crate to where they feel safe. Um, but then the other thing that I think is really helpful with the puppy, the crate that I used in the car when I went to pick her up, um, that's the same crate that I took out of the car and put into the house. Oh, and so each different place, it's the same exact crate. So she was like, got to feel a little comfortable with the crate in the car. Okay. You know what? This is the same crate that's in the house. It's a new environment that I'm in, but this crate is still the same. So what you did with Chloe, where you took all of her kind of bed and belongings and moved it into the crate, new crate, she was probably like, Oh, okay. This is my stuff. Like this all smells familiar to me, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is not so bad either. So like having something that's familiar, the crate, like move with the dog is really helpful. Oh, good. And I, I had to give credit to my wife for a lot of these ideas. I just go along with most things. So she did, <laughs> oh, she'll like to know that she was validated on, on this correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the one other thing that I think is helpful is having a crate schedule, especially for an, yes. a new dog. Um, like dogs appreciate routine and they like to know what's expected, right? Like surprises aren't actually that fun for dogs. Um, so if they can like kind of get on a good routine where, especially with a puppy, you're like, okay, two hours in the crate, one hour out, two hours in one hour out, like something of that nature, um, just to kind of get them on a good schedule is really helpful. That makes sense. My observation of having just these two dogs schedule is like everything and like, how do dogs have such good timing? Like they know it's 530 <laughs> exactly in the morning. Is that? Oh yeah. Is it like ingrained? Oh, yeah. How's that work? Oh yeah. I don't, I truthfully, I don't know the science behind it, but yeah, they're really good time tellers. And that's why I do not feed our dogs at the same time every day oh. um, because they become little time tellers and they're like, ding, ding, <laughs> it's dinner. Uh, mom and dad, where are you? Where's my food? Oh um, yeah. So I actually mix up the time that we feed them every day. Okay. That's good advice. I'll mix it up on her. I think during COVID, <laughs> a lot of things changed. The amount of time uh, we spent together, uh, the amount of walks we got to go on, and then her dinner changed by like four hours. She's like a 3 p.m. dinner now. I'm like, that's like a late lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is good. Um, we have to do a part two because I have uh, a lot more questions for you, and I've already taken up uh, plenty of your time. Um, but... I would like to refer people to your adventure dog channel because I've only been going through it for since this morning. Um, but it's been extremely very helpful. I'm on the intro to slip leash right now. Awesome. Yeah. Um, thoughts on, we use the easy walker thoughts on those kind of harnesses in general, like pros cons. Yeah. So different harnesses fit differently. And oh, my, my issue with the easy walker type harnesses is one, a lot of them fit where they actually kind of close in the shoulders. Yeah. So your dog can actually kind of have some joint issues happening because of the way that their shoulders are twisting and turning in a way that's unnatural because the easy walker, whether which kind you have, like either makes them turn their body, right. When you pull on the leash 
or it might actually kind of be like collapsing their shoulders back and like hitting in the wrong area. So if you do walk your dog on a harness, which is fine, you can teach them to walk nicely on a harness a lot. That's a big hot topic in the training world, but it's possible. Um, make sure it's one where they have full, you know, body movement. However, the reason why I do like the slip leash is because it does sit really high on the neck. So like if I hold my finger here, right, there's kind of this like nook under my jaw and I can talk all day long with it sitting here. Dogs have that too. If you're using a flat collar, like just a regular collar and it's pushing on their neck. Now I can't talk anymore because it's oh, yeah. my trachea. Yeah. So yeah. So like that's really uncomfortable for a dog. So the slip leash sits nice and high. And I can like very gently use the leash, almost like a piece of floss to communicate. Like when the dog feels the leash, they're like, oh, hey, mom's asking something of me. Like I'm not popping or jerking the leash. Like I'm using most of my videos, you'll see I'm using like literally two fingers. Like yeah. I'm not, you know, having to muscle, like all my dogs are could outtake me. <laughs> like they're all stronger than I am. Um, so like, I just want to be able to very gently communicate when I want the dog to recall or like, Hey, come back to the safe spot. Like it's just communication tool. Mm -hmm. And so the harness again is fine, but you're having to generally use a little bit more like muscle and leverage to communicate because the harness is fitting on the strongest part of the dog, which is the chest. Mm -hmm. So like for my dogs who are Huskies, and are pulling, like we do ski drawing and just sledding for fun. Like I don't do races or anything. We literally bought a sled because I was like, we have Huskies, they'll enjoy this. <laughs> um, but their harnesses fit, you know, at the chest and that's the strongest part of their body. So as soon as those harnesses go on, their association with the harnesses, oh, we're going to pull now. Yeah, It's not necessarily that the harness made them pull. It's just the association that my dogs personally have because it is the strongest part of the body. And that's where the polling power comes from. That makes complete sense. And a quickly uh, for the audience, I'm going to try and paint a picture. Ski joining, joining. Is that like a Nordic? Ski joining. Okay. Yeah. So ski joining. And they're pulling you like they're, they're actively using their, their strength to pull you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on, that. I'm on skate skis, skate cross country skis. Um, and they're, ripping like it is <laughs> um, it's super fun i mean with the, the sled is fun but the skis we can just go faster and honestly i feel like i have more control of my own self because i can make turns and um yeah it's a super fun activity they love it that's so cool we have a rider we have two riders that have two dogs husky blue healer mixes and they live up in silverthorne which is kind of like the park city of, of of colorado yeah and uh they recently started doing this activity and I'm trying to picture them because it's so fun seeing this couple go out doing this. I didn't know it was an, an option, um, but they also do Nordic skiing and they, this is like their, their language of their relationship. Yeah. So yeah, just, totally. totally. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to double down on the slip leash because I feel like my wife and I went into the harness as a, uh, we have more control with the harness and like, you know, mm -hmm. there's 70 pound dogs. So I think that's our logic why we did it, but I definitely want to learn how to do that better with the slip leash. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy. It drives me nuts. I used to work in marketing before I started doing dog training full time. And like, they're like, no pool harnesses. And I'm like, Stop. Yeah, <laughs> this is the strongest part of the dog's body. Yeah. <laughs> like, And, and you're making the shoulders, you know, contort in weird ways. And um, yeah. So the, I feel like the slip leash, if used correctly, like you're using a piece of floss is the least, you know, kind of 
aversive way to like teach your dog leash pressure. I agree. And, and watching your, your finesse uh, in the videos. Um, yeah. You're not applying very much pressure, like you said. And so I think I've been guilty of applying too much pressure with those uh, harnesses. I'm like, Oh, we got to pull the reins back basically. Cause I'm there right. coming kind of thing. Yeah. Just probably reinforcing lots of bad habits, but uh, we will delve into that as I learn. <laughs> <laughs> correct that. Um, well, Again, you've been so generous with your time and your wisdom. Uh, I have literally two pages of notes to upload uh, <laughs> awesome. along with the video. <laughs> so um, people can find you over at pete'sadventurepack.com and then on social media uh, under the same handle for Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Pete's Adventure Pack. Wonderful. And then the new, the new course you released is the Adventure Dog Channel. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that too? Yeah. So I really wanted a way to not only teach people locally in Park City and Salt Lake, but also be able to help fulfill more dogs and humans worldwide. Um, so we created the Adventure Dog Channel, which does everything from the basics, like you were talking about, like how to introduce a slip leash to your dog, how to have a great relationship with your dog and kind of the fundamentals, all the way how to hike, bike, ski, which includes backcountry and cross-country skiing ski drawing, um, everything, camping, even horseback riding. I ride horses too. And so I have how to introduce your dog to a horse if that's something you're into. Oh, that is, um, yep, I'll do that. Uh, yeah. So kind of all the adventure dog activities and how to introduce those activities safely, um, which is one of the most important parts, but how to also build a better relationship with your dog. I love it. And, you know, as a content creator myself and creating an online platform as well, it's very well shot and it's this beautiful cinematography, uh, great audio and the lessons are, they're approachable. They're like five minutes or so. Like you can really, you know, get two or three in and go apply them in the same day. Um, so kudos to you as a teacher, you put together a really good curriculum and good, good format. Thank you. I appreciate that. Katie, Katie Bennett, who is uh, my partner and filmer on all of this is phenomenal too. It's just She's, she's a good human. And it was nice for me to be able to work with a filmer that I got along with and she has a dog as well. And so it just, it jived really nicely and happy with how it, how it turned out. So uh, thank lovely. you. That means uh, a lot. Yeah. Well, no, absolutely. I, it, it shows you guys have good chemistry. Um, love to do part two. I, I asked a lot of our writers, a lot of our writers on our team, there's 50 writers have dogs. And so I've got awesome. a whole lot of questions. So next time we do this, It'll be quick fire. I'll send some ahead of time so you know what to prepare for. But yeah, the, yeah. The, a lot of the writers are very curious what to, to learn for. Um, but also awesome. I would encourage people to to sign up for the Adventure Dog channel. It's $36 a month. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's yeah. great. It's <laughs> a bargain. Awesome. Thank you. And and we do um we do virtual group sessions once a week. So within the membership, you can join a group virtual session. You can send me videos of what's happening with your dog. If you're like, hey, example, I get this one a lot. Like, hey, my dog is biting at the bike tire when I'm trying to ride my bike with my dog. How do I fix this? You know, what's happening? And we can talk through that in our group virtual sessions. And then everyone else can hear kind of the questions and answers. And it's a nice little fun community of people. That's a lot of value. That is incredible. Well, that's cool. That, that's not, not just the stuff you've created, but that's uh, in real time what people are, are dealing with and want to learn, and that it will help other people. That's that's absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. Ollie, thank you for your time. And um, Yeah, thank you. This was so fun. Good. Well, I had a lot of fun, too, and I know the, uh, the readers, the viewers, the listeners are going to enjoy this and have a lot of notes just like I did. So, <laughs> well, on that thank note, you. I'll wrap this up. Uh, 
Sean Sewell with Gamer.com podcast. As always, appreciate your support. Um, our next guest will actually be Arcade Belts. So that'll be next week. And um, stay tuned for that. And I'll put links below where you can find Molly and the Adventure Dog channel and sign up for that. Until next time, take care.